From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to Washington Watch. Coming up. We don't, as a practice, as a longstanding practice, comment on the timeline of how long that takes because we want to allow that process to happen. Um, but, um, you know, it, it should be an indication that it's there and now it is being reviewed. That was White House Press Secretary Jen Psaki responding to a question earlier today about the long-awaited vaccine mandate rule from OSHA that was submitted to the Office of Management and Budget yesterday afternoon for review. What is the next step in the process? And can this overreaching mandate be stopped? We'll talk about it with Wisconsin Senator Ron Johnson in just a little bit. Also, consumer prices continue to rise, as does inflation, causing some to draw comparison to Jimmy Carter's stagflation of the 1970s. Could the Biden administration's policies, combined with the Democrats' taxes in the reconciliation bill, push our economy into a rerun of the 70s? We'll talk about it with Dan Celia, host of Financial Issues. And no longer able to keep it under wraps, the Loudoun County Public Schools is responding to their apparent cover-up of a sexual assault of a girl by a gender-fluid male in a girl's restroom, which, by the way, he was allowed access to according to their gender-neutral bathroom policy. Meg Kilgannon, FRC Senior Fellow for Education Studies, joins me with the latest on this story out of Virginia. Also, do you think you need to do a better job at messaging and going forward? How do you sell this if ultimately you have to? Well, I think you all could do a better job of selling it, to be very frank with you. That was House Speaker Nancy Pelosi asked about the lack of public support for the $3.5 trillion reconciliation bill, saying the media should do a better job selling it. Well, we are certainly going to do a better job than both the speaker and the media in letting you know what is really in the bill. Connor Simmelsberger, Director of Federal Affairs, joins me for a look at the impact on child care, welfare, and education later on this edition of Washington Watch. The website, TonyPerkins.com. If you miss anything, you can catch it all later at TonyPerkins.com. It's archived right there. And tonight, is the Biden administration attempting to intimidate parents into silence? Join us at 8 p.m. Eastern as we look at how parents are responding to the apparent efforts by the Biden administration to silence their voices in America's public schools. That's at prayvotestand.org at 8 p.m. Eastern tonight. Now, you may recall me asking on this show, where is President Biden's vaccine mandate for private employers? Well, back in August, the president announced that the Occupational Safety and Health Administration, OSHA, would issue an emergency temporary standard requiring private businesses with 100 or more employees to vaccinate all of their employees, test them for COVID weekly, or fire them. The announcement caused an uproar as dozens of state attorneys general promised to challenge the rule. But week after week after week went by with no rule. Well, yesterday, OSHA submitted the initial text of the rule to the Office of Management and Budget. Here to discuss this and more is U.S. Senator Ron Johnson of Wisconsin, who is a member of the Senate Committee on Commerce, Science, and Transportation, as well as the Foreign Relations Committee, the Budget Committee, and the Committee on Homeland Security and Governmental Affairs. Senator, welcome back to the program. Well, Tony, I hope you're well. I'm doing quite well, thank you. 
let's talk about this emergency rule. What does it mean? This is an emergency temporary standard, and how long is this process going to take? Well, they're obviously trying to bypass the Administrative Procedures Act, which takes quite some time to enact uh, significant rules, which I consider this one to be. I I don't see the emergency here in terms of uh, OSHA's uh, issuance of this thing. Let's first state what I think is the obvious is that there's no rationale for these mandates. Now that we know that even if you're vaccinated, you can get infected, you can transmit the disease. Unfortunately, you can also be hospitalized and die even if you're fully vaccinated, but you know, folks just on the infect, get infected and transmit. So what's the rationale for this incredibly divisive and corrosive and freedom robbing uh, mandate? It, it makes no sense whatsoever. So uh, I'm doing everything I can to stop it. Uh, you know, just pointing out the absurdity of it, but also pointing out the devastate, devastating impact it's going to have on military readiness our healthcare system, our transportation system. We're just seeing the tip of the iceberg in upper state New York on, on healthcare in terms of Southwest flight cancellations, in terms of, you know, even, even on the docks, they're trying to load uh, imported products uh, into our economy. This is going to be devastating to so many sections of our economy. And again, we're only seeing the tip of the iceberg. Uh, yeah, Senator, it appears that there are many who you know, they may not be opposed to the vaccine, but they're certainly opposed to the mandate and they're not going to get the vaccine. And if it requires them leaving their job, then they will. As you pointed out in New York last week, uh, I think it was 1400 healthcare workers were fired because they didn't get the vaccine. We've seen the the, uh, the cancellation and delays of flights. And it's uh, rumored that that was a result of a uh, effort by the pilots to draw attention to this mandate of the vaccine for them. We're already having a supply chain shortage. What do you what do you think this is going to happen if we lose all of these workers out of the workforce? Well, it's going to be devastating to our economy. But let, let me focus a little bit on nurses and doctors who I've been in c- contact with now for months. Th- these are these are the heroes of the pandemic. They expose themselves. They were heroes last year. Absolutely. They were heroes last year, but now they're villains. They, they to the to some, not not to me. They're still heroes. Well, I, I, they, to, to this administration, right? Precisely. But but anyway, they they were exposed. Some died. Most survived. Now they are treating vaccine injuries as well. So I can tell you that the doctors and nurses who are adamantly opposed to the mandate will not get vaccinated. They will either quit and will will lose decades of experience, particularly as baby boomers start retiring, but but even young nurses, they see the impact. They are not going to get vaccinated. They are going to be terminated, and we will not be able to replace them. As good as, as uh, you know, military medics are, uh, they cannot replace decades worth of experience in terms of doctors and nurses and other healthcare workers. So th- this could be incredibly devastating for our, our healthcare system. But across the board, you know, I'm, I'm talking to, to large trucking companies who believe they'll lose all of their truckers to the smaller companies who, again, they'll, they'll be able to move goods, but not with the efficiency of the, of the current system. It will it'll disrupt everything. Just like whenever government gets involved in the private sector, it screws it up and it screws it up badly. So uh, we can expect some really severe economic uh, uh, dislocations here. Let me go back to those health care workers for a while, because I know what you just said uh, for a fact to be true, because my daughter is an ER nurse and she worked with the COVID patients. She 
uh, contracted COVID uh, when it first came out. She has natural immunity, uh, but if forced to get the vaccine, she's not going to do it. Um, and there's a shortage of nurses already in our country. Do you have any idea what is contained in the OSHA rule and will they make allowance for natural immunity? Well, they haven't yet. And there's no indication that uh, the, the federal health agencies will even begin to acknowledge the effectiveness of natural immunity, even though the science, again, I just hate the way we're always preached about the science. The science tells us that natural immunity is more, is better more robust than the vaccine immunity, which quite honestly, the, the effectiveness is, is dropping on a daily basis, basically. And by the way, it makes sense. The, the natural immunity recognizes the entire virus. So it, it's going to be uh, more effective to the variations and adaptations that, as it evolves. You know, the vaccine immunity is focused on the spike protein. If that changes, you're, you're going to be out of luck. And we're already seeing that's uh, happening, particularly the Pfizer vaccine. But, but again, Tony, part of the problem is we're not getting the information we need out of our health agencies. We have to go to England and their public health England. We've got to go to Israel to really get the, the data to see what's happening uh, recently. The, the data that you're hearing Fauci spout is, is literally months old. And it, it supports their contention, but it doesn't support these mandates. What does, what we do have access to are the daily rates of infection, of COVID and there seems to be a correlation. I, I don't know that it's a connection, but clearly the states and the areas of the country that have higher vaccinations, we're seeing uh, pre-pandemic rates of infection. Yeah, you'd think if the vaccine were so effective, and I put this chart on the Senate floor, you'd see the, vac the pandemic wind down, but instead it ramped back up with the Delta variant. You know, the, the other thing we really need to be talking about as, as well as in, in terms of vaccine injuries. I mean, there's a plausible case to be made that you're probably more likely to have a vaccine injury if you were previously infected. Uh, and, and by the way, the, the latest numbers on VAERS, 16, over 16,000 deaths, over 5,300 occurring on days 0, 1, or 2, 778,000 total adverse events. And the two complaints about VAERS is, A, it doesn't prove causation, I understand that. But again, when you've got over 5,300 deaths on day zero, one, or two, I'd be concerned. And the other complaint is it dramatically understates the number of adverse events, which means the 778,000 is probably dramatically understated in terms of true number, which, by the way, is probably one of the reasons so many people just get one dose because they had a pretty bad experience with the first and they're right. not going to get the second. And again, healthcare workers, when, when you know the science, when you understand you're, you're immune, when you understand that you may have, be at even greater risk for vaccine injuries with, with getting vaccinated, you're not going to do it. So, Senator, let me ask you this, this question regarding the, um, this push to, to get the, the, the vaccine, uh, despite the evidence that, that is out there. When you talk about injuries, who's going to be liable? If they're if they're mandated to get this vaccine and they have the negative consequences uh, that some are, have experienced, who's going to be liable? The employer, the federal government, who? Right now, nobody, and that's a real problem. I, I would certainly support legislation, actually writing a bill that would allow a cause of action in state court against any employer that forces this on their employee. Now, again, if, if the federal government actually enacts an OSHA rule that's going to shield those, those companies because they're just doing what the government 
is telling them to do. I think to a certain extent, that's what uh, Joe Biden and his administration, they're, they're playing this game. They're, they're talking about this rule. They, okay, now they've written it, but it's still going to be take some time to issue it. All these mandates, uh, mandate deadlines are occurring uh, within the next month or two. It'll be too late at that point in time. Right. Uh, so, again, uh, th- this is going to be so devastating. And I, I, I need to warn your audience again, we're just seeing the tip of the iceberg in terms of the impact this is going to have across our economy. Uh, Senator, final question for you. Any chance that Republicans can stop this rule from going into effect? Only by uh, exposing it, by speaking publicly like I am here today, by encouraging uh, others that are going to be affected by this to speak out. And by the way, more and more nurses, more and more doctors, some of them vaccine injured themselves, uh, are speaking out. And very bravely, because they're risking their medical license, they're obviously risking their, risking their employ, employment, uh, cancel by the cancel culture. So the, the, the more and more people are having the courage to speak out, and that's about the only way this is going to be stopped, is, is pretty much mass, re, mass resistance. Resist. Uh, that's the, uh, the only thing we have at this point uh, to stop the mandate. Senator, I want to thank you for joining us. Uh, always great to have you on the program. Stay well. Senator Ron Johnson of Wisconsin. Well, talking about the impact on the economy, as I mentioned at the top of the program, inflation going up, the cost of pretty much everything going up as well. Some are saying this could be similar to what we saw in the 1970s with stagflation under the policies of Jimmy Carter. Is it coming back? Are we going to see a rerun? Dan Celia. Host the Financial Issues joins me next to talk about it. Don't go away. More Washington Watch to come. With tech censorship on the rise, we've increasingly seen the cancellation of conservatives and Christians. At Family Research Council, we want to be proactive about making sure big tech doesn't completely silence us. We want to stay connected with you, and so we've created a tech subscription platform. That way, if we are canceled, you can still find updates on faith, family, and freedom. You can get FRC's content straight to your phone by signing up for our text alerts. Just text STAND to 67742. Again, text STAND to 67742. And FRC will send you special alerts on the issues of the day. By subscribing, you'll also be one of the first to know about our upcoming events and programs. All of this info is yours with just a simple text. We want you to always have access to the content that will help you stand for what's right and keep you connected with like-minded community. Just text STAND to 67742 and be the most informed person you know. Join us for FRC and FRC Action's inaugural Pray Vote Stand Summit. In light of the growing opposition our culture has expressed against biblical principles and the truth of God's Word, we've launched Pray Vote Stand Summit to equip and encourage Christians to respond to this opposition from a biblical worldview. We will address issues such as protecting the unborn, the importance of the nuclear family, domestic and international religious liberty, developments in our nation's education system, and more. We see the need for the restoration of a biblical foundation in our nation and the necessity to equip Christians to effectively engage the culture and understand current events through a biblical lens. Join us at Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia from October 6th through the 8th for the Pray Vote Stand Summit. 
Register online at prevotestand.org slash summit or by calling 877-372-2808. More than ever before, Christians need to be grounded in the truth of God's Word and be prepared to articulate them in a winsome manner. That is why Family Research Council has launched the Center for Biblical Worldview. By applying the Bible and the historical teachings of the church to a wide range of relevant issues, including voting, religious liberty, abortion, marriage, and sexuality, the experts at the center have provided resources to help Christians live by a biblical worldview. To understand why scripture must be authoritative and to equip believers to advance and defend the faith in the workplace, in schools, in their communities, and in the public square. Access free resources like the Biblical Worldview series at frc.org worldview. To get highlights of the latest work of the Worldview Fellows, including their latest blogs, op-eds, interviews, and publications, sign up at frc.org subscriptions. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm your host, Tony Perkins. Good to have you with us. By the way, um, just in that last segment, I I didn't give the disclaimer about how I'm not anti-vaccination. I'm not uh, just, I'm anti-mandate. However, according to Merriam-Webster and their updated definition of anti-vaxxer, I I guess I am anti-vax because If you're someone who opposes the use of vaccines or regulations mandating vaccinations, you're considered an anti-vaxxer. Interesting. All right, as I mentioned, consumer prices continue to rise, as does inflation, causing some to draw comparison to uh, Jimmy Carter's stagflation of the 1970s. Could the Biden administration's policies combined with the Democrats' taxes in the reconciliation bill push our economy into a rerun of the 70s? Here to talk about this, Dan Celia, president and CEO of Financial Issues Stewardship Ministries and host of the nationally syndicated show, Financial Issues. Dan, welcome back to the program. Tony, it's great to be back with you. Let's talk about um, the fact that uh, consumer prices increased slightly more than expected in September at a time when inflation fears are growing. Prices increased uh, 5.4% year over year. Now, that's the highest since January 1991. Some saying we could be looking at stagflation. What do you say? Yeah, I don't know about stagflation in the truest sense of the word. I know some are calling for that. I think it's very dangerous uh, to compare what we are going through here to the 1970s or, for that matter, any other uh, period in time when we've had uh, problems with the economy and struggles with the economy. This is a very, very different scenario, but not is it just very different. There's not go- there is no history that is going to give us any indication of what we do. I'm an economist. I live and breathe the history of various economic cycles. It's what it's what we do. I get that. But at the same time, there's got to be something there that you can look at. So I happen to be a behavioral economist. And as a behavioral economist, you have to factor in a total change in behavior amongst consumers and 
corporate executives to what is going on this time than what was going on in the 70s. We may have an energy crisis, but it is a self-inflicted energy crisis. It's an energy crisis that could easily be fixed or changed. It was very different in the early parts of the 70s when we were dictated to by OPEC and saw oil embargoes. And that's just one little thing, but there's a number of other things as well. And we are going back to uh, dependent upon OPEC. That's what this administration wants to see happen, in my opinion. And he's getting, he's going to get his wish maybe a little bit quicker than we'd like to. Well, you're talking about those factors. Energy was a factor in the 1970s. Uh, Inflation um, was was driven in part by the interest rates. We still have low interest rates, uh, but there is talk about raising them. Um, the but as you say, these are self inflicted. I would say shoot ourselves. We've shot ourselves in the foot, but it's more than that. It's like a cruise missile to the foot, yeah. uh, where we've got yeah. these vaccine mandates uh, that are driving people out of the workforce. We're looking now at uh, trillions of dollars in new taxes that will further uh, laden the economy. And then, of course, something big, vastly different from what we had in the 1970s is now we have $28 trillion in debt. And that's certainly going to weigh on the economy as well. Everything that you mentioned is going to weigh on the economy and is already weighing on the economy. economy. There's no doubt about it. That's why this is a very, very different time, just for those reasons that you mentioned that we've ever had in the history of the nation. So back in 2013, we lost our ability, in my opinion, from a mathematical perspective, we lost our opinion to grow our way out of this economy. Can't be done anymore. And I was very critical of Steve Mnuchin uh, and his uh, just unwavering attitude that we were gonna grow our way out of everything. It wasn't mathematically possible. And what we needed and need now, along with growth, is uh, a shrinking of the size of government. We've gotta have both in unison. We are having the opposite on both of those things. We have a massive debt that we continue to pile on and we have no intentions or will in Washington to reduce the size of government. We're talking about 80,000 just new IRS agents. So we're, we're, not, we're not shrinking anything and we are going to be taxed to the tune of probably, in, if, if this were to continue for the rest of his term, we are gonna, we are gonna be staring at you know, taking home maybe 45% of our pay that's, uh, when, when all the taxes are done. We haven't even seen the tip of the iceberg, Tony. It's not even out of the water yet of what we're going well, to be taxed. He talks about his uh, Build Back Better program. It's actually Build Government Bigger program yes. is what's in, yes. what's in his uh, yeah. reconciliation. So very quickly, before we run out, we're actually up against the break, but very quick, quickly, what do our listeners need to be doing to prepare for what's ahead? Well, what they need to be doing is working hard to get out of debt, to have some cash at home. You should have some cash at home. Uh, We've got a globalist communist of Janet Yellen that is pushing for a stable dollar. That is going to happen. It's going to happen soon. Uh, So that is going to usher in a lot of uh, different things. But have some get out of debt, work to get out of debt, stay out of debt. Just don't get duped in to thinking that there's anything out there that is going to save you from the coming crisis. There isn't. Yeah. 
There just yeah. isn't. And if you do that, you're going to be in bigger trouble. Get out of debt, save some money, get some cash at home, and get ready to hunker down. And then buying some beans and bullets, as we used there you, to say. You got uh, it, brother. You Dan, got it. great to talk with you. We'll talk some Thank more. In the days All right, ahead. Tony. Thank you. Stick with us, folks. We're back with more on the other side of the break. Okay, I'm having audio issues. Do you want to be able to stay up to date on conservative news? Are you looking for Christian resources to help you stay politically engaged? Then download Family Research Council's Stand Firm app. With all of our content available at your fingertips, you will conveniently be able to stay up to date throughout your busy day. The Stand Firm app will give you access to a variety of resources, such as our most recent episodes of Washington Watch with Tony Perkins, tweets and other social media posts, and our latest blogs, updates, and publications. Additionally, you will have the opportunity to take action and make your voice heard by contacting your elected officials on the issues that most concern you. Visit the App Store on your smartphone or mobile device and search Stand Firm to download Family Research Council's official Stand Firm app. Have you ever tried to read the Bible daily? but struggled to get in a groove? It can be hard, especially if you don't know where to start, or how to understand and apply what you've read. Or maybe it's just that doing it alone has made it too easy to give up. Well, let me encourage you. You don't have to do this daily discipline alone. You can join Family Research Council's Stand on the Word two-year Bible reading plan. God's Word is necessary in our lives, so much so that Christ said we are to live on every word that comes from the mouth of God. He calls it our daily bread, because we need it daily to sustain us and nourish us spiritually, just like food does physically. That is why we want to read the Bible daily, and we'd love for you to join us so we can stay grounded in God's truth and grow closer to God together. Our hope is that this plan will help you be transformed by God's Word, by reading and hearing it daily. Sign up to get the daily passages and questions today by visiting frc.org Bible. That's frc.org Bible. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm Tony Perkins, your host. Good to have you with us. The website, TonyPerkins.com. Let me encourage you to tune in tonight, 8 p.m. Eastern Time, for our weekly edition of Pray, Vote, Stand. Is the Biden administration trying to intimidate parents into silence over what's happening in the schools across America? We're going to talk about that tonight on Pray, Vote, Stand, 8 p.m. Eastern Time. All right, Loudoun County School District 
broke their silence today on an issue we talked about, uh, touched on briefly yesterday here on the program, and uh, was a part of the National uh, School Board Association, uh, their claim in terms of their justification for calling on the Biden administration to send in the FBI to schools, they made reference to a father in Virginia uh, who was arrested at a meeting in June. Well, the story has now come out, as I made reference to yesterday, that his daughter was sexually abused, uh, assaulted rather, uh, in a restroom in May before that school board meeting. And he was trying to speak regarding that incident when the superintendent said, we have no reports whatsoever of any type of sexual assaults taking place in our restrooms. And they were defending their gender neutral bathroom policy. Well, now it's coming out. This girl was not the only one. There have been others abused because of these asinine policies that defy logic and reason. Joining me now to talk more about this, Meg Kilgannon, Senior Fellow for Education Studies here at the Family Research Council. Meg, welcome back to the program. Thanks, Tony. All right, so what is the school district admitting to today? Um, They're admitting to doing everything right and nothing wrong, apparently. They're admitting to the the um, procedures having been followed to the letter of the law in spite of media reports and the parents' con- claims to the contrary. Um, and the, they're doing, I guess, what you'd expect them to do, right? They're, it's been a bad news cycle for them, and so they're going to um, come back with a response. Um, it's, it's hard to know exactly what happened, of course, but um, these are the reports that we have. So the, the, the school is denying that they had any knowledge of this assault? The school board is denying that they had any knowledge of this assault. And the reason they would deny that is because a few weeks after this incident where the father was arrested, um, they passed a policy that absolutely allows male students to have access to female students' spaces. And this this young woman uh, is alleging that she was assaulted in the restroom at her school. Um, So that obviously is germane to the topic of the day, right? And so they want to, everybody to understand that they didn't know that there were any assaults in the bathroom at school before they allowed boys into the girls' bathrooms in Loudoun County. But in the June meeting in which um, the father, Scott Smith, was arrested, he was tr- actually trying to bring this to the school board's attention. He said that he said he was there to speak to the school board and to to tell them that there had been an assault in the bathroom and that it, you know, I I seems like his position would be it's not a good idea to let boys in the girls bathrooms. I can't speak for him. It's certainly my position that it's not a good idea. Um so he was at that meeting um he was provoked by um LGBT activists uh who I think knew what he wanted to say. I mean, the school board claims they didn't know about his situation. I I live in a neighboring county, and I knew what the story was about that situation. I find it hard to believe that nobody on the school board had had an uh, an inkling of what had happened in this situation. Um, But I suppose it's possible. They say in the statement that the board had not been notified. And, you know, perhaps it's true that no memo from the school went to the board to officially notify them. 
But I find it very hard to believe that no sitting member of that school board had any idea that a sexual assault had occurred in a bathroom in the well, school system. I mean, they should be taking action against the superintendent and others for not letting them know that that had uh, occurred. Now, last night there was a meeting of the, uh, the Loudoun County School Board. About 60, according to reports, about 60 outraged parents and students showed up and confronted the school board over this situation. And uh, there were statements made that uh, at least two other young women were recent victims of sexual assaults in the high school uh, restrooms uh, in the same manner. Right. Um, the, the sad fact is that child-on-child um, -child sexual violence is a, is a fast-increasing category of crime in this country, and it's, it's fueled largely by pornography viewed by children at very young ages because of their access to devices. Um, and so the, when, when you have the situation going on in upper school bathrooms, right, um, high school bathrooms, um, th this it, th don't think that it's only there. Right. This is also happening um, to some degree on the playground. And I don't mean to be alarmist about this topic. Right. Most schools are safe environments for children. But these things do happen on campus. And when they do, the default should be total transparency with the parents of the perpetrator and the victim and transparency with the larger community to the degree that that can happen while protecting the, the rights of the accused because everyone is presumed innocent until proven guilty. Um, but policies like this 840 policy that was rushed through in Loudoun County right. only facilitates, it, doesn't, it Absolutely. doesn't stop, it facilitates this type of sexual assault, this sexual abuse. It, it makes it possible for, for predators to gain access to spaces where women are vulnerable, I mean, regardless are of the clothing this? that they're wearing. It's just, I mean, why, why, why are we even doing this? I, it's to satisfy the agenda of activists on the left. That's that's it, that's it. Meg, thanks so much for uh, for joining us. Thank you, Tony. All right, folks, we're going to continue to track that. But on the other side of the break, we take up the reconciliation bill. What's in it? Well, we're going to tell you. So don't go away. We're back with more after this. Are you a university student? Do you know a university student? specifically one who wants to grow as a Christian leader to influence public policy and culture? Look no further. Family Research Council has a life-changing 12 to 15-week internship program that prepares and equips students to take the next step in their professional journey. With a speaker series focusing on careers and callings, lectures from prominent conservative leaders, and weekly biblical worldview trainings, students will grow in personal and professional development. Interns will have the opportunity to work in policy, communications, event planning, and more. They will gain real-world experience working directly with our experts who will guide them in pursuing careers of influence so that they can make a difference wherever God calls them. This paid internship offers fully funded housing in the heart of downtown D.C., giving interns the chance to experience our nation's capital. Visit frc.org internships to apply. Is real biblical masculinity lost forever? In this culture of gender confusion, there are too few examples of godly manhood. So where can men, husbands, and fathers find a model of godly manhood, leadership, and strength in this culture? Try our Stand Courageous Men's Ministry. We seek to help men develop a strong biblical character, cultivate positive habits, 
build and rebuild relationships, and make commitments that will move men closer to God's good purpose and design. Men who will stand courageous. We invite you to join us at a Stand Courageous Men's Conference to discuss critical aspects of masculinity. These conferences are led by men who struggle with the same issues you do and will invest in unpacking our role as a defender, provider, instructor, and battle buddy so that we can have a generational influence as a chaplain inside and outside the home. Learn more and find a Stand Courageous event near you at StandCourageous.com. With tech censorship on the rise, we've increasingly seen the cancellation of conservatives and Christians. At Family Research Council, we want to be proactive about making sure big tech doesn't completely silence us. We want to stay connected with you, and so we've created a tech subscription platform. That way, if we are canceled, you can still find updates on faith, family, and freedom. You can get FRC's content straight to your phone by signing up for our text alerts. Just text STAND to 67742. Again, text STAND to 67742. And FRC will send you special alerts on the issues of the day. By subscribing, you'll also be one of the first to know about our upcoming events and programs. All of this info is yours with just a simple text. We want you to always have access to the content that will help you stand for what's right and keep you connected with like-minded community. Just text STAND to 67742 and be the most informed person you know. Welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm your host, Tony Perkins. The website is TonyPerkins.com. And again, let me remind you tonight, 8 p.m. Eastern Time, PrayVoteStand.org. We'll be talking about whether or not the Biden administration is trying to intimidate pa- parents into silence with uh, the uh, the task force that has been announced to track what they're doing in school board meetings across the country. Again, that's 8 p.m. Eastern Time, PrayVoteStand.org. Org. Uh, by the way, speaking of education, if you missed the interview yesterday I did with uh, Lieutenant Governor Mark Robinson of North Carolina, um, we talked about, you know, the, the cancel culture coming after him because he has sounded the alarm over what is actually happening in public school classrooms, the curriculum, the books. And the, the content is, um, I mean, we, we just talked about this with Meg, about how sexual assaults have increased in schools but we're pouring like gasoline on a fire. We're putting these bathroom policies in place where, you know, males, biological males, simply because they're wearing a skirt can go into a girl's bathroom. And in this case, what happened in Loudoun County, sexually assault a girl. And then we're also looking at the curriculum. Look at some of the books. And this is what uh, the Lieutenant Governor actually goes through and shows in a Facebook uh, video. It's on my Facebook page, Tony Perkins, uh, so you can go to that and you can see it. It's, I can't talk about it on the air. It's too graphic. But th- these are books. This is material that's in public school classrooms. Uh, I, again, I, I want to thank the lieutenant governor for speaking out and, and taking on the, the cancel culture and the left who want to silence him and parents, by the way. This is what this is about. It's about silencing. That's the new left. It's actually not new, but it's fairly new to, uh, to politics here. It's, it's taken the uh, center stage, pushed the Democratic Party and liberals to the back, and the new left is here. They don't want to debate. They don't want to have a discussion. They don't want to look at the facts. They want to silence. 
and and we better speak up and we better push back. And I'm grateful for those who do. So go to my Facebook page and and uh, watch that. All right. Last night, the U.S. House voted along party lines to raise the debt ceiling by four hundred and eighty billion. Ah, just a half trillion dollars. Now, the timing is important because uh, Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen had notified Congress if the debt limit wasn't raised by this week, then the U.S. government would not be able to pay its bills. President Biden is expected to sign the measure, which will allow the government to pay its bills until December the 3rd, when Congress will have to raise the debt ceiling again. Now, the party line vote is uh, unremarkable in itself, but how it was conducted should give every one of us calls for concern. With me now to explain why is Connor Simmelsberger, Director of Federal Affairs for Life and Human Dignity here at the Family Research Council. Connor, welcome back to the program. Great to be back with you, Tony. All right, before we jump into the reconciliation bill, taking a look at today, uh, the aspect of education, uh, welfare, and, uh, and child care, what was significant about last night's vote to raise the debt ceiling? It's the proxy voting that the House has uh, implemented uh, because of a COVID measure. But as we talked about yesterday, uh, this is looking to become more and more permanent. Around 166 members voted by proxy yesterday, uh, nearly enough to be a majority, 218. Um, And they voted to, like you said, increase the debt ceiling for two more months, kicking that can down the road even, even more. And the the Congress couldn't even dare to show up uh, to actually put the votes on paper. So let let me just say, if if those 166 members who until a little over a year ago would have had to show up to vote, had they not shown up and voted, would this measure have passed? It wouldn't have been likely because the, the margins needed to pass the vote would have been much less and it would have been tough to get the right votes there um, as uh, many, if not all, the Republicans opposed this debt increase in the House. Thankfully, uh, this proxy voting really uh, has the, the factor to determine vote swings um, when the members aren't uh, being asked to actually show up and do their jobs. Well, I thought the members of Congress uh, were vaccinated and I thought the vaccine protected you from the COVID virus. Therefore, why are they not showing up? That's what you would think. But with Speaker Pelosi uh, ruling the House uh, with restrictive measures so much so that folks like us aren't even to uh, meet with staff and talk with legislators because of the restrictive pulses they have, even with a mask mandate and even with a vaccine mandate. So it's more about control. They're seizing this opportunity to literally change the way we're governed. That's exactly right, Tony. All right, let's switch gears. Let's go to the reconciliation bill. I want to play another clip of Nancy Pelosi at her press conference where she is asked about if she needs to do a better job of letting people know what's in this bill. Let's play clip number six. Do you think you need to do a better job at messaging and going forward? How do you sell this if ultimately you have to? Well, I think you all could do a better job of selling it, to be very frank with you, because every time I come here, I go through the list. Family medical leave, climate, uh, the the issues that are in there. And um, but it is true. It is hard to break through when you have such a comprehensive package. So is that how she looks at the media? It's their job to speak to sell the Democratic uh, agenda? 
It appears so that the media is again in in cahoots with this Democrat majority. Uh, they can tell that their own package is not popular with the American public, and so they want the uh, you know corporate media to go out there and sell this bill. The inflation that comes with it, the dismantling of families. Uh, she feels it's the media job to do it, not hers. Okay, uh, this whole. trillion, give or take a trillion or two plan, you know, his build back better, which is actually, as I mentioned earlier, the build government bigger plan. Uh, Let's talk about its impact upon the family. Let's look at what it does when we're talking about uh, child care. What does it do in terms of child care and really the structure of the family and those that are trying to raise their own children? Yeah, this is one of the most damaging parts of this package, in my opinion. Uh, they're trying to, you know, kindergarten isn't, is uh, not soon enough to, to put kids into government-regulated programs. They now want to have your kids in a government institution from infancy all the way up to th- three additional years of community college, a- almost your whole uh, young adult life uh, from infancy and beyond. And uh, the way they do this is to hand out a child care entitlement, uh, but not for those families that decide it might be best for one parent to work at home full time uh, or even part time. No, rather, uh, it's a forcing of both parents, uh, the mother and the father, to go into the workforce and put those infants up to the age of two and even three years old in a government institutional uh, child care program. So it's really not only affecting the young infants at these very formative age ages, but also affecting the way parents that have flexibility to choose what's best for them and how they uh, decide to work and care for their own families. So those families that decide a mom or dad uh, is going to stay home and raise their kids, maybe educate them at home, homeschool them, they are actually forced then to pay for those who would have two working parents and want to turn their children over to a government certified child care service from infancy all the way through uh, college, at least community college. Yeah, it's it's Biden saying me, this this coastal elite, uh, knows better uh, about how you should raise your family than you do. Uh, it's saying you need to be working full time. Uh, and, and those folks that decide to stay home and actually care for their own children, do the work it takes to parent that hard, hard work it takes. Uh, those are the ones paying for for those well off, uh, you know, graduate educated folks in our coastal cities, while the working class of Americans are the ones really paying for it. All right. So, OK. Let's say uh, you do have uh, parents, both parents working. They want to put their children into a um, a daycare, early childhood education, and they say, "All right, I want to I, I want to go to a a faith based uh, provider that would provide this, or I want to uh, I want to have another family member care for my child." Is that possible under this plan? Actually not, Tony. Now, they don't make this explicit, but in, in reading between the lines, this is a, a push to push um, religious educators out of the way and your actual family units out of the way. Uh, while you may be a religious provider through a church or a religious school that might want to offer child care services or even pre-K services, why you'd be forced out is because you would now be forced, if you take these funds, uh, open yourself up to numerous, numerous regulations in terms of your hiring practices, uh, a SOGI, sexuality, and non-discrimination provisions, uh, which is bucking the norm of when religious providers have been uh, used to be able to provide uh, child care services. What they say now is you religious groups need not apply. So this would be what we were just talking in the previous segment about the Loudoun County and their bathroom policy, which is something uh, that the Department of Education has been pushing 
uh, schools to do. So I assume that these daycare and early childhood programs would have to uh, comply with all of the, the, this crazy nonsense in order to participate. So you're talking about churches, faith-based, would have to adhere to these uh, crazy policies? Yep, that's what Biden and the Democrats want. Um, but because of those provisions, uh, in the end result, a lot of these faith-based providers just would opt not to, to uh, be a participant. And so what that means is all those kids in those low-income families that need this service or would want to use it would be forced to send these children to institutional care run by the government rather than the community church program that might be right up the street from their own house. Um, so it's a real shame that uh, the, the religious education is seen as a major threat to the ideology of the ruling class here in D.C., so, so, Connor, let's, let's shift a little bit to the broader issue of marriage. How does the reconcil- provisions in the reconciliation bill deal with the issue of marriage? It actually penalizes it. You know, this, this pro-family build back better plan, as Biden calls it, actually dismantles families and actually punishes you if you have children and are married. And, and it's appalling because we're seeing record low birth rates and record low marriage rates. So instead of building these things up, Biden's plan would dismantle them. How would that happen? Uh, existing programs that uh, help low-income folks work and, and earn some additional money, for example, the earned income uh, tax credit is something that's been around for years and years years, and it's been really helpful to help single mothers uh, continue to work. Uh, But what he does here is actually double the marriage penalty, double the marriage penalty. So if a single woman with a young child earning maybe $12,000 or less decides to get married, she's actually going to be taxed twice what she already is. And actually, at the same time, he triples the benefits, triples it for any that same woman that has no children. So there's a disincentivization here to even have children or get married, two of the foundational building blocks to actually starting a family. Now... We have been working over the last decade and a half or so to to try to eliminate that, to entice a mother to marry the at least, you know, remove the the financial barriers for a mother of a child to marry the father of the child uh, by removing these artificial barriers. This is erecting additional barriers because it would cost them money to marry the father of the child. And what we know from the social sciences, the child is much better off in so many different ways if the mother and father are married. That's right, Tony. And that's one of the great benefits of the policy and government affairs team at FRC that has been working so hard on these issues for the last decade. Uh, the 2017 Tax Cuts and Jobs Act passed by, uh, you know, enacted by President Trump really did away with a lot of these penalties. And here we are uh, turning back the clock, which the Democrats talk so much about not wanting to do. They're turning back the clock to penalize marriage once again at a time when we need more and more marriages, stable marriages that last in this country. I, I don't want to, uh, maybe I do. I was going to say I don't want to beat the educational hobby horse, but maybe I do uh, because uh, I, I think one of the greatest downfalls in this country is how the left has taken over education and they have taught uh, a generation to hate this country. They've confused them with their, uh, especially in the last two decades since the Obama administration, with this radical sexual agenda. Uh, this would actually entice parents to put their children into the hands of government from birth all the way up 
to, you know, then they go to, I guess, uh, to age two, then they go into early childhood education until they go into kindergarten, and then all the way through 12 years of public education. Then, just in case, just in case they didn't fully indoctrinate them, they're going to give them two years of uh, community college. Yeah, it really is their their model coming to fruition. They realize that those 18 years from, you know, 5 to 18 is not enough. They need more time and earlier time pushing the parents into the workforce, both of them. Let's give me your child as soon as you can. And again, we're going to keep your child into their adult ages, young adult ages, when they could be out in the workforce. Rather, we're going to entice free community college to keep you under our thumbprint at those ages when you begin voting and earning an income yeah. and paying taxes. That's when they want to keep you uh, in this ideology even more. Huh. Unbelievable. All right, Connor Simmelsberger, thank you so much for joining us tomorrow. We're going to take uh, a look at what other aspects of this uh, reconciliation bill. Yeah, tomorrow we're going to cover the tax provisions, which is how is this going to be paid for? And like you already mentioned, it's the hardworking families across our country that are paying for this three and a half trillion dollar boondoggle. All right. We're going to take a look at that tomorrow. Connor, thanks so much for being here. All right, folks, you don't want to miss that tomorrow. You've been told that it's going to pay for itself. Uh, not quite. You're going to pay for it. Um, let me go back to this education thing really quick because we're up against the end of the program. Worldview. We, we've talked about this before, but a, a, a child's worldview is developed between basically 15 months and, and 12 years. Uh, this is the, the most critical time that you need to be bonding with, implanting and in, in, instilling into your child a biblical worldview. The government wants to get them earlier and earlier from the cradle. They want to begin to indoctrinate them with an anti-God ideology. It's what it is. All right, we're out of time, but we're not going to be finished talking about this for some time. But until next time, I leave you with the encouraging words of the Apostle Paul, where he says, when you've done everything you can do, when you've prayed when you've prepared, and when you've taken your stand. By all means, keep standing. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener-supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family, and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at 1-866-372-7234. That's 1-866-372-7234. 